It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Murky, gloomy, foggy, difficult to see. Am I talking about the uh, Texas Longhorn basketball uh, future the rest of the season? Not perhaps, but also the weather outside as well. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn, 101.9 and uh, 104.9 FM, 101.9 and AM 1260. And, of course, always streaming. You can catch us digitally live on the horn app and at hornfm.com my name is craig way glad to have you with us jeff howe be here around the bottom of the hour and uh, we'll uh, jump in with uh, all four of our feet at that point meanwhile the other two feet on the other side of the glass our producer cameron parker how you doing this morning cam Gloomy is the right word, especially <laughs> after last night. And what time did you get in? Oh, let's see. I guess by the time I got into the vehicle, it broke down. Because remember, the game tipped off at 8.10. Yeah. Uh, they had a five-minute slide. And from what I understand, I guess it was because of the Alabama-Auburn game. Went to overtime. Yeah. So they had, in terms of the telecast, it started what, on ESPN News mm-hmm. with all the gambling lines wrapped yeah. around it and everything. <laughs> that so it was eight oh seven, and I turned on the horn, driving back from the flex show. I was like, "Craig's still doing lineup." So this Alabama game must be an OT. And sure enough, I got home thirty minutes later, and they were still just starting overtime. Yeah, how about that? So I mean, it was what well into the first half before it finally yeah. switched over with uh, regard to the. By then, the Longhorns had dug themselves quite the hole. Uh, they trailed by as many as sixteen in the first half. Came back. Uh, they were down twelve of the half. Made a push in the second half. Cut it to five. TCU pushed it right back out to uh, nine. Then it was back to five. Then it went out to 13. And then the Longhorns had a furious rally and cut it to three at 71-68. Uh, I think 105 left, 107 left in the ball game at that point. And there was a timeout called. And the defense was set up. And one of the things, you know, I've heard a lot of conversations and I've gotten lots of uh, uh, social media questions about this. Uh, and it had to do with uh, the way the game was officiated. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, you know me, I'm always on record saying the officials don't it, it rarely, if ever, do something that uh, flat out decides the game, but, but they had their issues last night. But, um, uh, and, and then folks asking about, you know, the way the Longhorns uh, were on offense, defense, so on and so forth. Um, they they set up the defense time. The other thing that came to mind, and Eddie Orn and I talked about this, was that it happened many times last night. On a 30-second shot clock, the Longhorns defended well for the first 25 seconds and then either would commit a foul or give up something right uh, in the lane or on the baseline or something like that, and that was that was a bit maddening there. So uh, th- those things happened, but uh, like you said, by the time television joined, it was – down inside the final. It was pretty late. Yeah, yeah, well, well into the first half. So, um, as as Bevo Lynch, Jason says, so many opportunities to take the lead in that game, uh, and 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 when he said convincingly, certainly going to win, and and it was a great environment uh, last night, a, a, a you know, a, a tremendous environment on their senior night, very emotionally charged up. And sometimes uh, basketball teams can get a little too amped up on their senior nights. And that was not the case for TCU. They were ready to go. Um, I mean, they jumped right on them right out of the gate. Uh, maybe it should have been a sign of things to come. Texas wins the tip, the opening tip, and it gets tipped over in Dylan DeSue because Dylan Mitchell's jumping center. It tips over. DeSue gets it, and before he can even turn upfield, 
Damian Ball flicks the ball out of his hands and gets a breakout and, and a run in. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> then there's a missed shot. Then there's a three. Then there's a turnover. Uh, yeah. And then there was another shot made. And it was like, okay, they better turn it around quick. And uh, so anyway, that uh, that was, you know, there was quite the whole dug out of that. Um, we're going to hear from Rodney Terry, uh, my post game uh, conversation with him coming up here in just a few minutes. Um, and uh, we've got other things to talk about, about you know where it all stands to the Big 12 Conference race. Also, it was a crazy finish. I know folks didn't see it unless they were watching it on ESPN+. Plus. The women's game that was going on in Norman. Oklahoma played Kansas State last night in both men's and women's basketball. K-State dominated OU on the men's side on their senior night. I think Marquise Noel had a big game. They, they, they dominated the game in Manhattan. On the women's side, it was expected that Oklahoma would win. It was their senior night and that they would probably dominate a a real subpar K-State women's team and that they would win the game and then pull into the first place tie with Texas going into the final game of the regular season on Saturday when the Longhorns play at K-State and Oklahoma plays at Oklahoma State. So I'd pretty much resolved in my mind after the Texas women lost at Baylor on Monday night, okay, they're going to be tied going into Saturday because Oklahoma is not going to lose at home on senior night to Kansas State. Yet, here was the game down inside the uh, final seconds, uh, and our our studio anchor uh, last night, who you know, Cam, from our work with Longhorn Weekly, Zach DeBosart, was our, was our studio anchor because... Mike Coulter, our normal studio anchor for Longhorn men's basketball, was working the SEC women's tournament play-by-play uh, last night. And so uh, Zach, who does an outstanding job as our regular uh, producer on Longhorn Weekly, and our final edition of that, by the way, is tonight uh, with Rodney Terry. We have a special third and final women's basketball edition of it coming up on Monday at 6.30 at Pluckers with Vic Schaefer and a couple of Longhorn players. That'll be Monday night. But our final seasonal edition of the men's show is tonight uh, with Rodney Terry at Pluckers, uh, the West Campus location. So um, so anyway, that's, you know, that's, um, you know, that that's going to be the, the case with that. Uh, <laughs> Ryan says, Craig, please change the subject. Uh, man, it's still painful. We had it one now. Well, it was not one. They were, it's kind of hard to say they had it one when they never led. Texas never led in the game, never tied it in the game as well. Had it down to three and had opportunities for sure. And that came at the very end too. Yeah. Yeah. They tied it. They, uh, they came down and cut it to 71 60. I'll get back to that moment. But I want to finish this deal, uh, with the women's game last night in Norman. So Oklahoma was a heavy, heavy favorite. And yet here it was with, I believe it was 16 seconds to go in the game. Kansas State has a two-point lead. It's 77-75. Kansas State has the ball. They're inbounding. They inbound with 16 seconds to go. Oklahoma fouls. K-State walks to the line. They hit one out of two. So they're up three with like 14 seconds left. So it's 78-75. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, I'm I'm keeping an eye on that during the timeout in the men's game, and I'm thinking uh, Kansas State is going to foul. They're not going to let Oklahoma do what they did to Baylor when Baylor left Taylor Robertson open, the all-time uh, women's basketball three-point shooting leader. They're not going to leave her open, and they didn't, and they fouled. They fouled uh, Maddie Williams, I think it was. She goes to the line with, I believe, uh, like I said, about 13 seconds left. Makes one of two. So, Kansas State is still up. It's 78-76. K-State has the ball. 12 seconds left. They inbound. They bring it in the front court. They get fouled with six seconds left. They go to the line, miss both free throws. Oklahoma gets the rebound, comes down, hits a jumper, gets it overtime, and Oklahoma goes on to win. I mean, uh, I'm all prepared to say coming out of a commercial break, hey, congratulations to Vic Schaefer and the Texas women. They've just clinched at least a share of the Big 12 Conference Championship and the top seed in next week's tournament. Nope, didn't happen. So Texas will still have to handle its business. This was a weird night last night. So anyway, back to the men's game. I, I, I am 
Uh, I did finish the story about OU. Somebody just went, Craig, finish the story about OU. Patience, my friends, okay? Sometimes I go around the garage to get to the barn, but I'll wrap it all up. So that was the story about the OU game. Now, for <clears throat> for the uh, Texas men's game, it's 71-68 with a minute to go in the ball game. Timeout is called, and it's defend, 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 make sure, and above all else, rebound. And TCU dominated the glass last night. Longhorns had made up some of the deficit in the second half, and then in the last two minutes, again, TCU exerted its influence on the boards. So they play... 28 of the 30 seconds on the shot clock. Very well. Shot put up from the baseline, off the rim, and I can't remember if Dylan DeSue is only able to get a hand on it and Brock Cunningham and it gets tipped or just mistimed the leap or whatever. TCU gets a key rebound, get fouled. Damian Ball, who's been outstanding, knocks down a couple of free throws. Uh, Longhorns come down, <clears throat> can't get it to go. A turnover, and TCU gets a run out of the bucket, and that's it. Uh, so it was that kind of evening. Uh, unfortunately, those, you know, that's the way it goes. 18 so, plus rebounding margin for TCU last night, I think, Craig, right? What's that? 18 rebounds. Yes. yes. And it was, I think it was like 18 at the half. And then they cut it to about, they cut it in half, cut it to about nine in the second half. And then down the stretch, TCU opening up again. So, uh, that's what happened with that. And, um, so it was a bizarre evening. In, in all of that. Now, let me let me address one thing, and then um, we'll get to uh, the conversation I have with Rodney Terry after the game, because part of it dovetails. Uh, I've got a lot of questions here in the last, whatever, nine hours or whatever, about the officiating of the game. Uh, I'm on record as saying this. I'm saying it again right now. Uh, rarely, rarely can you actually say the officials – you know, made a call that decided the game. And, and and quite often, even if they call a foul that shouldn't have been called and a shot goes in or doesn't go in or whatever, there were sequences of events that led up to that. So I'm, I'm on record as saying that. However, uh, anybody that's heard me uh, broadcast a game or talk about a game and talk about officiating will we'll say, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to uh, shy away from saying if I thought the officials struggled or had a difficult time with a game. And in this league, it's hard. I've seen it a lot <clears throat> during the course of the year where officials, and some of it depends on the crew because the crews get mixed. And when you get a crew with a really good number one lead official, and then if you get a good number two, and then you might get a third who's still kind of learning or just on the bottom tier. It'll still work out. Uh, it'll it'll still work out okay. And uh, in the case of last night, you had a really good lead official in John Higgins. Uh, I know some people don't like him or whatever, but he, like Doug Sermons, are officials who, as number one, as crew chiefs, as they're called, take, uh, you know, they take charge of the game. Um, so, and and as Stoner points out, and I think this is a good point, he goes, if you get Higgins, you're not getting two other good ones unless you're in the Sweet 16. It's a great point. Um, Rick Crawford is an okay official. He's an okay official. He was the two. And then you have Mike Roberts, who the Longhorns had not even seen this year, and I don't know how much Big 12 basketball he had worked. Uh, Rodney Terry saw uh, Mike Roberts a lot in Conference USA when he was coaching at UTEP, and he works some of the other mid-major leagues a lot, uh, uh, mid-major conferences. Uh, Texas has not had him in the game this year, and um, I, I'll just be honest, he struggled. He struggled with a lot of things. He struggled to call the things that needed to be called on both sides, both sides. He struggled to call the things that needed to be called uh, and quite frankly, saw things that replay would show did not exist or in his mind was elevated. And so this was building on both sides with both head coaches toward him as the game pro progressed. Finally, <clears throat> it gets to a deal where 
And it's a key moment in the game, in the second half. And uh, Texas has pulled within six. I think it was 69-63. I can't remember for sure, but they pulled within six. and uh, Or 49-43. Anyway, they, they were within six. And um, TCU sets a screen, but the screen's moving. I mean, the, the replay show and everything. It, it's, it's a moving screen. And a long run, I think it might have been this who just gets flattened on it. And it happens right in front of Mike Roberts. He doesn't blow the whistle. And on top of that, uh, TCU hits its one three-pointer of the second half. So just like that, it's back to nine. So Rodney Terry's pretty upset. He 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 jumps up, and he's coming up the sidelines pointing, and Mike Roberts signals him for a technical foul. So it's the first time Rodney Terry has been whistled for a technical foul this season. I... Uh, Found out from folks around the scores table and some fans, they heard the actual exchange of words. Rodney asked him, what'd I do? What'd I say? He was pointing his player, and Mike Roberts said, you showed me up. Really? Did we go back 20 years to, to the, the thing of the, the umpires or officials saying, you showed me up? Really? You showed me up? Come on, man. Really? Showed me up. So there it is. Uh, to your question, Cam, uh, I got in a little after two, I guess, whatever. And then, of course, we had a, the, the reports to do for the morning and stuff like that. So anyway, that's that's where that's where all that is. So uh, and and again, like I said, officials do not determine the outcomes of the games, but what they can do is make teams kind of think about the, the, th- themselves, how they're supposed to do. And if a game is kind of unevenly officiated, sometimes players have adjusted to it. But that's up to the team and the coach to make the adjustments. I've said If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. You have to adjust to how the game is being called. But it can throw you off. So obviously you'll be able to hear the inference that, that I'm making here in this conversation with Rodney Terry because coaches are not allowed to comment – in specific on officials in the game. And Ronnie doesn't do this, but it was part of the post-game conversation I had with him when I asked him about the officiating, but just as one piece of an otherwise disappointing evening. This was a long, uh, a steep mountain to climb, and your team very nearly did it uh, a long way back up. How about your thoughts on uh, just the, the challenges that your guys were trying to overcome, especially with the double-digit deficits? Well, I thought we came out in the second half and set the tone the way we needed to uh, with our defense and got ourselves right back in the ball game, just like we thought we would at halftime. We didn't do a great job of sitting down and going in the first half. They rebound the ball, and uh, you know they did a really good job of out-toughing us in the first half. Looks like also you got into more of an offensive rhythm in the second half. We did, but we got a lot of points off our defense. We turned them over 22 times, and uh, we got a lot of offense off our defense. And then there were a few possessions there where well, we had a couple of empty possessions off our turnovers that we could have continued to cut into that lead and get it right where we wanted it. But great effort in terms of guys coming back and trying to get after it. Uh, is it difficult for guys also to adjust to, and I'm not asking you to comment on officiating, but I'm just saying when the game can be called kind of raggedly or inconsistently, is it difficult for guys generally to overcome something like that? I think it's hard. You know, Big 12, you know, I mean, obviously it's been one of the best leagues in the country and, you know, the officials have had the hardest time trying to call this league because it's so competitive and it's, you know, a lot of parity in this league. But, you know, you get some big calls. They make big, big, when you miss big calls, man, those are those are big plays. And then when you get upset and you don't have good communication, okay, uh, because of it, then that's a problem. Let me uh, get your thoughts now on uh, getting the guys back, uh, re-energized and focused for senior day on Saturday with Kansas coming in. Well, we're still playing for something right now. I mean, we're playing for a Big 12 championship tonight. But... Uh, you know, this time of year in March, I mean, you're playing for seeding. You're playing to put yourself in the best position uh, for the big prize. And, uh, and I do you know, still feel like we have a team that can win the big prize. You know, so we got to still continue to fight and want to come out and compete at a high level. We're going to play a team coming in that's playing really well right now. And, you know, we've got to come in and play at a high level at home. So there it is, the uh, thoughts of Rodney Terry there on the postgame. Uh, <laughs> a couple of uh, uh, points on the Specs text line. Somebody said, thanks for the play-by-play honesty about Mike Roberts. I'd love to hear you go Walter Cronkite on Roberts and remind us daily of his ineptitude. It's the first time I've seen him, at least this year. 
And I, you know, I he hadn't worked the Texas game. Uh, Longhorn Bear points out it was Jabari Rice that got knocked down on that screen that wasn't called. And, you know, Rodney came down from the bench and was pointing to where the screen was. And that's where I guess Mike Roberts thought he was, quote, unquote, being shown up uh, on that. So um, have you ever heard that before from a referee? Uh, not in basketball, in baseball. Heard it a lot in baseball. Not since the 20th century? Yeah, I, I started to say, it's been a while since I've heard that. It's been a while since I heard you showed me up uh, on a deal. Um, somebody else had said, all we ask for is consistency. Mike Roberts was terrible. He missed the wraparound foul down at the uh, down low at the end, too. Yeah, and, and let me tell you uh, what else. He missed what should have been a foul call against Texas. It happened right in front of Eddie Orn and me not long right after that, back the other way. Uh, so it wasn't all on one end. That was not my point, uh, and it wasn't. Uh, but it was it was difficult uh, because of how that is. CB says, speaking of officials, never forget your call during the Oklahoma State game at DKR in 2015. Yeah, the defensive holding and then uh, the official bumping into Charlie Strong. <laughs> you had that as well. Shank punt. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so <laughs> I love this one. You're right, Craig. The official don't determine the outcome of a game. This is a New Orleans Saints fan. <laughs> Hey, I said in large measure, don't factor the with very rare exceptions on that. And and this is a Rams fan speaking. Clearly, obviously, the pass interference should have been called. It was not. The Saints still would have had to score, would have had to, but they would have been in position to win it at that point. Obviously. And Drew Brees threw interception in overtime. Yeah, he did. He did. And that kind of gets glossed over. And I understand why it gets glossed over by Saints fans saying it never should have gotten to that point. The PI should have been called. There would have been a field goal. They would have won the ball game. I, I totally agree with all. Understand it. Understand it. As a Rams fan, I accepted it and went okay, even though I knew they were not prepared to play New England in the Super Bowl. But uh, but accepted it, understood it, and felt bad for the Saints because always like Drew Brees and and uh, uh, called a state championship game when he played at Westlake and and uh, had a chance to interview him several times. He came down when he was doing a women's basketball game at Purdue right after they'd won the Big Ten and they were going to the Rose Bowl his senior year. And Texas was playing Purdue in an early season day game. And he came down and hung out with the team and hopped on the air with us and stuff. He's, he's, he was always cool about that. So, so I appreciated that. But anyway, um, so some else points out the Sean Payton's poor clock management <laughs> in that game, uh, you know, about that one, lost that game. And again – and again, uh, like I said, I understand where Saints fans will come back and say it never should have gotten to the clock management thing. It never should have gotten to the interception for that. And, uh, you know, uh, I understand their point of view on that. Uh, somebody else said, uh, Coach Terry isn't going to get the same respect with officials as many others like self. Eh. Uh, and and uh, and Huggins, I mean, it hadn't hurt Texas – against Bob Huggins on, on calls because, you know, Texas handled its business against West Virginia. Bill Self <clears throat> is going to get real trade. And if, and if you watch Bill Self, the way not only is he just one of the finest coaches in the history of the game and certainly uh, in the game today, not only is he a great coach, and, and folks point out maybe his specialty is out-of-bounds plays, call some absolutely fabulous uh, out of bounds plays as well. He is also good when it comes to when he needs to make an appointment with an official, even if he gets a technical or something, which happens, and it usually seems to happen when it does happen in the first half of a game when things are not going well. And then it kind of sets up things to where he might get the benefit of the doubt on a specific call down the stretch. Or, you know, later in the game. So there's also ways, you know, to work on officials. It, it, I can tell you this. Roddy doesn't worry about the officials too much. He, he, he um, you know, jumps right into it and, and goes and uh, doesn't really worry about who's calling the game and visits with them like all coaches do before the game and all that sort of stuff. But I know he remembered uh, Mike Roberts from working Conference USA games in there, and that probably didn't set well with him. But the the interesting thing about that call or the technical was that there were scores of people around the bench area and fans who heard Mike Roberts say, you showed me up. <laughs> that 
uh, that wasn't that wasn't just Rodney saying that. There was lots of people around the bench who said, "Yeah, that's what he said." He said he showed him up. So okay, all right. That's you know that's as Beaver Lance Jason says. I'd love to hear the audio uh, of Craig at the end of that OSU game uh, many years ago. Uh, yeah, would. Wasn't fun. <laughs> that was. I felt bad for Charlie Strong. I was. Just, I was so shocked and flummoxed about how that uh, was called and how it went uh, that day. Anyway, enough about officiating. That's uh, like I said. It it rarely uh, you point to a deal and say this is the reason why Team A lost or Team B won or or whether and it, and it it ultimately wasn't that but it but it does make the game kind of uneven and ragged even if both teams adjust to it we all like to see a smoother flowing basketball game i mean that that game tipped at 8:10 and got done about what 10:25 or so something like that i mean it was <clears throat> it was pretty late i mean 10:20 10:25 or something so and there was a lot of that that happened uh in the ball game but uh we move forward uh, when, when we come back, uh, I, this is the other thing I've gotten a lot of questions about. Um, and, and Jeff and I will talk about this because he texted me late last night uh, after the game to uh, ask about tiebreakers and this and that. And so we'll, we'll get into that uh, for the uh, men's and women's game as well. So we'll, we'll do that coming up. And uh, we'll uh, take a closer look at uh, your uh, – submissions on the Specs text line at 337-377-7652-337-3776. So uh, we'll, we'll get to that as well. This is Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049 AM1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Way and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower. This is Light the Tower on the Horn. Recapping, uh, we were recapping the Longhorn basketball game. Uh, of course, Texas baseball leaving this morning for Fullerton, California. I think they fly in LAX and then bust down to Orange County. They're going to have a full practice there uh, at Goodwin Field there in Fullerton. I'll join them out there tomorrow and uh, call that series opener along with uh, Keith Moreland and Ty Harrington. Then I'll take the old red eye back to get back for uh, Texas basketball on Saturday afternoon against Kansas. And uh, Keith and Ty will have the call of the Saturday and Sunday games. Joined now by my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, which was getting some rain last night when I was driving through. started around Salado. It was hard to see the sign to take the Farnham Market Road from Salado to Florence. It's hard to see that one there. Yeah, uh, Salado Road's not one to not not a good one to be going down in severe weather. Yeah, it was it was heavy duty rain. Of course, he is you know not only the not pride to of be trifled with, with the windiness. <laughs> He's a proud graduate of Florence High School, you see, Always. so he knows that. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns twenty four seven, and that's Jeff Howe. I'm trying to remember. Is that twenty eight forty three, the farm to market from uh, Salado to Florence? Let me pull up a map on the Google machine. Okay. I can tell you here. I think it's 2843, Ken. Just a minute. I'm trying to remember. Um, I know the Salado Road, and I know the Holland. Yeah, it's 2843. You're right. Okay. All right. Just yeah. wanted to make sure about that. Uh, Good call, that. sir. Um, you're. Um, uh, I'll tell you what. Let, why don't we, uh, without further ado, just jump right into it? Uh, you know, there's a. You know, there's a scene in uh, one of the uh, Star Wars movies. I think it's in Revenge of the Sith. No, it's it's in the uh, second one, I guess, Attack of the Clones, where uh, Senator Palpatine, or who later, of course, you know, he discovers the real bad guy, says to uh, says to um, Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, I guess he, he says to him, I guess maybe it has to be in the first one because he's he's got uh, no no he's with uh, he's with uh, Anakin Skywalker the two of them. He says, "Be careful." Uh, you know, it's a Sith Lord or something. And he goes, my Lord, Sith Lords are our specialty. 
So, point of all that is, it's time to get to the Longhorn Notebook, which is his specialty. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert. And she, of course, can do for you, perhaps, see a visit with her, if she see if she can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that's to help get that home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is the person that can make that 10-day home loan approval a reality. Check her out on the web at BowersockTeam.com, B-O-W-E-R-S-O-C-K, BowersockTeam.com. Did uh, that Palpatine guy sounds like a real doucher? He might have been the third official last night on the game. No, 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 that was Mike Roberts. <laughs> that was Mike Roberts on that. Those are Craig's words, not mine. Send your yeah. hate mail to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. I texted you last night, and I burned the midnight oil. Did you go, now? Going through Big Twelve tiebreaker procedures, okay. and actually, I ended up doing a lot more work than I needed to. Yeah, because it gets real convoluted below. If mm-hmm. you, if you want to get deep in the weeds on the thing and go down a rabbit hole, go start sifting between Tech and West Virginia, Oklahoma State and Iowa State, Oklahoma State and West Virginia. By the time I got to that point, I'm like, you know what? I got it figured out for Texas. I'm just going to yeah. stop. And Texas is playing on on Thursday. That's all we know. That's all anybody should care about. Well, that's true. At this point, and and it, not necessarily a guarantee they'll play on Thursday night. Might be first game of the day on Thursday. True. So, here's the deal with Texas. Any path Texas has to the two seed has to include a Kansas State loss. K-State, if you look at those three teams that are in the mix for two, the trump card for K-State, based on the way the Big 12 tiebreaker procedures work, it's ultimately going to get any tie between Texas and K-State would have to be broken by the head-to-head with Baylor. And since K-State swept Baylor, any scenario to break a tie between Texas and Kansas State, the tie is going to go to Kansas State mm-hmm. because of their the sweep of Baylor. So any path to the two for Texas has to include a win over Kansas and a K-State loss. Texas basically gets the three if everybody wins or everybody loses or, like I said, if, they're in the, in the, if they end up in a tie for second place with K-State, then Texas is the three. And I think obviously we know if Texas loses to Kansas, you're more than likely looking at Texas being the four seed in the it, conference it, tournament. Um, if um, if the other two win their games, and I would expect right. Baylor to beat Iowa State at home. Yeah. Now the K State at West Virginia, Texas clearly has the toughest road to no doubt a tiebreaker with, by taking on Kansas. Saturday. Yep. Yep. I, I I agree with you on that. Now again, I I don't see it as a guarantee. Uh, certainly. K-State winning in West Virginia. Right. Um, Who, man, you talk about bubble teams fighting for your yeah, life. Yeah. They, Bob Huggins needs a win bad. 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 And, and a win, a, a quality win over K-State, a K-State team that's squarely on the two-slash-three line right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they could really use that win. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So, um uh, that, so that's that's in its simplest form there. Um, I wonder, part of me wonders though, like for Kansas, you've already got the outright Big Twelve title locked up. You've got the number one seed in the conference tournament locked up. For all intents and purposes, you've got a one seed in the tournament locked up. I've said all along that the regular season champion in this conference, especially if it's an outright champion, and you're getting a one seed in the turn in, in in the NCAA tournament. It's your it's your feeling now. That if Kansas loses Saturday, and then Kansas loses against the eight nine winner on uh, Thursday afternoon, they're still a one seed. Well, here's my is thing. That, is that Here, your thought? Here's, on here's what I'm thinking, and I, I know he doesn't think about it like this, but you know, and maybe this is wishful thinking on my part. Does Bill Self take guys like Dewan Harris and Kevin McCullough, and maybe rest some guys on Saturday and say, you know what, we want to be as full go as we possibly can be getting to Kansas City. This game doesn't – like the Texas game does not matter for Kansas at all. Like it, it does it does nothing to help them. It does nothing to hurt them. Because a loss to Texas is not going to hurt them in terms of net or anything else. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just mean, wonder, I wonder how they play that. 
you know, it kind of it, it kind of reminds me of the deal in Major League Baseball where are you playing your best guys down the integrity of the game and the other stuff while other teams are in the race for for things and stuff like that. The so, difference I would say is if if you're Kansas, you still got the the goal wouldn't be hey we're looking ahead to the NCAA tournament. It's hey let's make sure we've got everybody healthy by the time we hit the floor in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe maybe a few extra days would would do it. Maybe yeah. if, you, if you got somebody that's really up against it, really feeling it, maybe they don't travel. I don't know, but that's that's part of the stuff. If you're Bill Self, I think you got to think about right now. Um, I, I you know uh, here's another thing that helps, and this doesn't get mentioned that often. Um, folks talk about you know there's there's big turnout. Kansas fans. Uh, have the largest contingent of fans when they play there at the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. I'm here to tell you, when they played the conference tournament in Dallas, when they played the conference tournament in Oklahoma City, Kansas fans still had the largest amount of fans there. Yeah, But, but what helps them is it is a 35-mile, 35 35-minute 35 bus ride into town. Yeah, That's the difference. It's like Tex- It'd be like Texas going to San Marcos to play – the Big Twelve Conference Tournament, right? Anybody that hasn't been there, it, it's it's not, it's a hop, skip, and a jump away to get from Lawrence to Kansas. City. Thirty-five minutes straight down, yeah. uh, straight down uh, I seventy. So that I think helps, uh, you know, uh, in terms of that, in terms of what uh, the, you know the teams have to do. All the other teams have to. Well, Kansas State's a little further out. They're, um, you know, they're it, it, it's it's a three-hour bus ride for Iowa State, if assuming if they take the bus. And it would be uh, for K State. It's a two-hour bus ride. So, um, so there's there's something else that helps. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, obviously, we see during the course of the year Kansas pedigree, and that's you know they win the Big Twelve regular season title. And I will say this: that tournament does mean more to Kansas than it does a lot of other teams uh, because it is local, yeah, and because they do have their fans there. So, uh, your point. Maybe well made, Jeff, in that maybe Bill Self rest a couple of those guys so that they can be fresh yeah. for the Big 12 tournament. Maybe. It's possible. Um, but uh, I guess we'll have to see on that. But but, but the simplest path like you were talking about. And see, Stoner mentioned, does Kansas need yeah. to go after the 1-1 overall in terms of where they're going to be opening weekend? They're going to, they're going to be in Des Moines They're regardless. going to be in Des Moines and Kansas City. Des Moines and Kansas City. Whether they're the overall number one or the fourth number one or the third or the second number one, I think it's pretty safe to say they're going to open in Des Moines and they're going to be in the Kansas City region. Jerry Palm, Jerry Palm right now has Kansas as the one in the east, which would mean your regionals at Madison Square Garden. But I mm, Really? Yeah. He's got Houston as the number one? Yeah, in Houston is the one in the Midwest. Okay. Well, maybe there is something more to play for there with regard to it. Perhaps maybe you, you want to be sure and lock it down. That's uh, that's certainly a possibility of it. Hey, SEC tournament is in Nashville this year. Yes, right? it is. It's okay. in there almost every year. Uh, they've ro- they've they've rotated before. Right? They have. They've been in. They parked it in Nashville for the past. This is the few Georgia years. Dome for a long time. It was, and then they moved it into Bridgestone Arena there in Nashville. Probably not long after that building was built, and then they rotated a little more, and then it's been back there pretty pretty regularly since. Um, so yes, in the future, I think that's where you'll see Texas playing in its postseason conference tournament will be in Nashville, Tennessee, not Kansas City. Um, so, uh, and but that's that's what it, that's what it is for Texas. Basically, your path to the two seed has to include a win over KU and a K State loss at West Virginia. I think you're most likely looking at the three with a win over Kansas and a loss to Kansas, and you're probably looking at the four. Mm-hmm. Which four five right now? If if it ended the day, if Texas was the four, it'd be a rubber match with TCU. Yeah, yeah. So win and you're no lower than the three. Yep. Lose, you're no higher than the three. Yep. And could probably very easily in probably the four. Now, when you start figuring out if they're in the three six or the two seven. Who they're playing now? That's when you get into that wonky stuff. Because I didn't realize there was that you know Iowa State, Oklahoma State, oh, and yeah. throwing West Virginia. Yeah, it's it gets wonky. But that's pretty much what it is for Texas. I, you know, it's a. I think for me, Craig, the bigger thing for Texas is forget the seating in the conference tournament. It would be disappointing. And I wrote this last night slash early this morning mm-hmm. on the site. You know, in the span of 
you know, 11 days, you could go from having a very clear path to an outright conference championship to being the four seed in the conference tournament. That would be a pretty disappointing end of the regular season. The bigger issue for me is you could go to, into Kansas City on a three-game losing streak. This is a team that yep. hadn't lost back-to-backs right. all year until your last two games. Yeah, and you could be toting a th- you know a three-game losing streak into the conference tournament, and you don't want that. You don't want to stagger to the finish line. Does the, I want to get to Stoner's point on the Specs text line. Okay. Does, the, does the number one overall get to pick where they are for the opening weekend? The number one overall seat in the tournament? They get to what? They get to pick where they are the opening weekend? What do you mean? Do they get to pick their sub-regional site? Oh, no. no, that's no, no. Okay, I didn't think that was no, the no, case. No, 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 no. The, NC, the NCAA, uh, no, no, there's no picking. The NCAA that's what tournament, I thought, yeah. It, it's largely assumed and figured out uh, like, by that. But Kansas, nobody, like nobody said, picks Craig, anything. Kansas will be in Des Moines for They'll first be second in round. Des Moines. <laughs> they will be in Des Moines. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's any, any question about that. Uh, but, you know, where, where it goes from there, who the other number one seeds are. I think right now, Houston, Alabama. And Let's see what Jerry Palm's got as of this morning. Purdue, uh, yeah, Purdue. Okay, um, so Purdue would probably be in Columbus. Yep, uh, Alabama. Alabama obviously be in Birmingham, mm-hmm. and Houston. He's got Houston and Birmingham. Okay, it could be that. This is Jerry Palm. I don't know if you got Lenardi's in front of you, but uh, Jerry's got oh. Texas. He's still got Texas on the two line. That was after last night's stuff? That's after last yep. night. Still has Texas on the two line yep. uh, the, the, in Denver with the 7-12, uh, 7-10 would be Iowa and USC. Okay. That's the 7-10. So that changed from what he had the other day where Texas A&M was. I think it was A&M-USC is yeah, 7-10. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, interesting enough, a potential Sweet 16 according to the latest Jerry Palm projection. How about a Texas-Tennessee rematch in a Sweet 16? And sure. No, but the path for Tennessee, I'm interested to see how they how they fare in the SEC tournament, and w- you know what their seating looks like. Minus Zakai Ziegler, you've got to take that into account now, since he's yeah. done for the year, which right. is yeah, boy, that's a is that massive damaging. blow. That would that would be like Texas losing Marcus Carr, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, it's it's that big. So, yeah, that's that's a tough tough loss there. Uh, we'll we'll check that at the other uh, bracketological prognostication. Thank you for that. Uh, up next, we will return with Inconceivable here on a Thursday morning here on Light the Tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Okay, so I- I'll tell you what. Let's lead off inconceivable with a tip of the cap to Stoner. <laughs> yes, Craig weighs subtlety, folks. It just—it's like a falling safe. It's the gift times. that keeps on giving. Um. Uh. Anyway, uh, let's lead off with a tip of the cap. Now, this is a piece from six and a half years ago, but I feel like this is that Vince Young story I got sent earlier this week that turned out to be a hoax. Um. And and it's a it's a Bleach Report thing. Uh, Matt Norlander of CBS Sports. It, 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 this is again. This is from July of 2016. NC announced that the top overall seed in the NC basketball tournament will now get to pick its first and second round host site. According to Matt Norlander, preferences would be communicated by teams in contention for the number one overall seed in advance of selection Sunday in a process to be determined. The NCA said in a statement per Norlander. Okay. Thank you, Stoner. It's really weird. Never did I, now. It happened in July, so for me that kind of happens in a vacuum. Sometimes, given my uh, physical and geographical state in July, I'm usually on the coast of North Carolina at that time. That year, I, and I will also say this: that was right before my wife passed away too. So I mean, that was we were in the fight for her life at the time, and I was not paying attention to a lot of other things. No excuses there, but I'm glad. To, to have some clarity on that. But you hadn't heard it either, had you? It's never crossed my desk. Um, I've never heard a coach make reference to it. I've never heard CBS make reference to it. 
But does it change? It doesn't change the fact that Kansas they is going to play in Des Moines. They would express their. Preference. Why would they say? Well, I mean, yeah, we're the one overall. We're going to go play in Columbus. We want to play in Birmingham. Sacramento is our destination. Kansas would say no, 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 no. They're going to out of the eight sites. It's going to be Des Moines. That's where that. That's where they went. Now that is the preference is only to the number one overall seed, and I don't think Kansas is going to be the number one overall seed. Even if they run the table, they win Saturday, win three games. I don't think they're going to be the number one overall seed. You think it's Alabama? Yeah, yeah. I do. Um, and Alabama obviously is going to be in Birmingham. So by the they're way, they're not going to want to play in Sacramento. The, the further the further away we get from it, is Oklahoma's like thirty plus point win over Alabama, not just the weirdest outcome this season. What an outlier that deal is, right? <laughs> what do you think about that? So anyway, thank you, Stunder. Appreciate that. Uh, this is really only going to apply to Alabama, and they're going to be in Birmingham anyway because I, I can't see Kansas as the number one overall seed. But, you know, maybe the number two certainly could be the number three depending on what happens the rest of the way. But, again, it, that that luxury would only be afforded to the number one, uh, and, that's it. and we can expect to see, you know, Alabama play in Birmingham. Now, before we get to the other offerings we have, our producer, Cameron Parker, has a submission of his own. Cam continues to be a really big part of the presentation. Coming on, he is our Jabari Rice. You Ooh, know, I he's like coming that. in with coming in as the sixth man, or in this case, the third man. Instant offense there as you. It's like supplies. Hulk Hogan with the NWO. Who's the third man? That's exactly who it's I Cameron, was thinking it's of. Cameron Parker. Was, was the Hulkster on that one. I have to work on my pump think, though. And okay. up you guys remember the former Baylor guard, now Illinois guard, Matthew Mayer, right? Matthew Meyer. Meyer. From Westlake. Absolutely. Yes. Uh-huh. The mullet and everything. Yeah. So, after Ohio State. Teammate of Brock Cunningham, yeah, by the way. Last weekend, he missed practice for a couple days. Wasn't an injury. It was more of a, a sickness. Here's his audio on why Matthew Mayer Meyer. Meyer missed the last three or four practices after Saturday's Ohio State game. I've actually been sick the last few days. I had caffeine poisoning. I literally had uh, six monsters the day of the game. I only had one before, but I had five after because I like a caffeine-induced euphoria to play video games in. Um, and so I uh, I could barely get out of bed the next day. It was like basically like a caffeine hangover. And uh, so this is my first day of practicing since then. I hardly know where to begin with that. Good God, man. Six. He had six. Six monsters. Those monster energy drinks. The, the worst monster energy drink story I had heard was one when um, – my youngest son, Jason, was playing Little League, okay? Uh, got to see my son last night. He drove down from Wichita Falls. Got How to is go, Jason Went to doing? the basketball game. He's, he's doing well. He's doing well. Um, so Jason's playing on the team, and they're in a tournament. So, you know, you play those youth league teams, you play a lot of games. Um, Jason, at least not back then anyway, was not into the monster, the energy drinks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and who wants to give that to a 12-year-old kid anyway, right? Right. Well, apparently the parents of one did, and he had just finished whatever was in between games of the tournament, and he slams like a 20-ouncer and just throws up all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was the worst monster or energy drink story I'd heard until I heard that. Can we hear that again? I want to hear that the, the, there's, like I said, I hardly know where to begin because there's a couple of interesting elements to this. Actually been sick the last few days. I had caffeine poisoning. I literally had uh, six monsters the day of the game. I only had one before, but I had five after because I like a caffeine-induced euphoria to play video games in. Um, and so I uh, I could barely get out of bed the next day. It was like basically like a caffeine hangover. And uh, so this is my first day of practicing since then. Count seven red flags in that audio right there. Eight if you include the mullet. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you for that, Cam. Uh, you know, I had to go to the hospital one time with uh, I was, you know, burning the candle at both ends sure. and, and went from San Marcos to Waco to cover a Baylor Texas AM football game, then drove back and just stopped at the Loves in Troy and just yes. slammed like two monsters on the way home. And Exit just, 306? Yeah. Got the heart palpitations and the shakes. Wow. And I, I have not had an energy drink since. I've had one in my life. Spring break, 1984. Me and two dudes, friends of mine, 
going to Fort Lauderdale. Said, we're going to do this. And I was really tired. I'd driven a lot of the time. They gave me one. I felt horrible. One Red Bull. And I was just, my stomach felt queasy. Never again. I've never had one since. Like as much Red Bull and vodka as I've done, as much, uh, <laughs> you know, the flirtations with the devil known as the original Four Loco. It was just uh, two straight up monsters that, that got me. Wow. I, like I said, I hardly know where to begin with that because caffeine-induced poisoning. What do you say you like the caffeine-generated high to Ca- play video games? Uh, uh, euphoria. Euphoria? Euphoria. Caffeine-induced euphoria. Wow. While playing video games. Send that to me. I've got to send it. To Jason, I got to send it to my son. Look, He's got to hear that. He'll get a kick. On the out off of that. chance I ever, I get a minute to play Super Mario Kart. Like chugging a case of Monster is not <laughs> a part of that equation. Oh, I had my a friend goodness. say that when NCAA football comes out, not only will they'll do that, they'll do a line of Coke just so they can stay up playing that game. <laughs> wow. Good lord. Uh, okay, I, I got a couple of things real quick. One, a uh, couple of flight-related stories. One was difficult. Flight going from Austin to Germany. And it had to land at Dulles, experiencing significant turbulence. This is how significant it is, Jeff. Take a look at the aisle here on the on this flight. What are we dealing with here? Um, oh, geez. Significant turbulence. It so shook up. Like seven people had to go to the hospital. Now they said the injuries were minor, and it and it went on from there. Um, but that's yeah, that was that was bad. So you had that. You got another flight deal here. Spirit Airlines. Shocker. I know. I know. Uh, Spirit was going from DFW, headed for Orlando. Hey, we're all going to Disney World, right? No. Had to land in Jacksonville after the crew reported a battery in an overhead bin was on fire. And it took took a retired New York City firefighter to put out the fire because it was bad. It It was smoke. Filling the cabin, and a passenger said uh, that it was really someone yelled fire. And I looked up to see the cabin filling with smoke. Uh, this guy said the smell was terrible, made it very hard to breathe. His children were emotional, became relieved once they exited the plane. I was coughing up a lot for a good two hours afterwards. Spirit Airlines didn't have a plane available for passengers <laughs> impacted by the diversion, Shocker. so the family continued to Orlando in an Uber, which cost 250 bucks. It, when you fly Spirit, you get what you pay for. I know we're not supposed to knock companies, but seriously, like you, you get what you pay for. It's oh, it's a it's a twenty dollar ticket, yeah, and a hundred per bag, and you know, yeah. a fifty dollar charge on your card if you go pot pot during a flight. Like it's. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, that is. What <laughs> kind of battery was it? Yeah, just some sort of battery for something. I don't know. Well, you paid probably two fifty to check that bag, so I hope it was worth it. Reminds me of the guy we had doing traffic reports for us at KRLD in Dallas once. He's got a stall on I thirty. Battery blew up in a guy's face. Bob Norman, KRLD Traffic Central. What he said. She used to be just real blunt about stuff, you know. He, the, the th- I think the final thing he said was when he said, because uh, he'd heard in advance on the scanner that they, they can't pronounce him dead on arrival till they get to the hospital. Yeah. But the paramedic said he's gone. He said, hard accident there, transporting him, injured man to the hospital. We're calling him dead. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a real newsman. Yeah. Second hour of Light the Tower coming up.